Well, good morning. My name is Chet. I'm one of the pastors here. Grab your Bibles and go to Exodus chapter 35. We are working our way through the book of Exodus. We have six chapters left, and we are going to go through all of them today. So I hope uh, we did send you an email to pack your lunch, right? Um, <laughs> now, here, here's what's happening in the book of Exodus. Uh, we have walked through, and we've made it to the place where in Exodus chapters 25 through 31, Moses was on the mountain, and God said, you're going to build a tabernacle, and here's how you're going to do it. And so chapter 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31 is God explaining to Moses in detail how to build the tabernacle, what they're going to do to accomplish this. And then chapters 35, 36, 37, 38, and 39 is them building in detail the tabernacle. So in chapters 25 through 31, God says, this is what I want you to build. And in chapters 35 through 39, they build it. And it's this picture of this culmination of God's plan coming together from start to finish in the book of Exodus, where ultimately what he's rescued them out of slavery for is going to be accomplished. And so it's a little bit like if we went and watched a fireworks show, they're shooting off fireworks the whole time, but then at the end, they shoot off about as many as they've already shot off. It's all coming together to kind of finish it off. That's kind of where we are, is that we're in the, the crescendo of the book of Exodus, and so we're going to take all six of these chapters together. So let's pray. And then we will study through this together this morning as we try to take in the full picture of the book of Exodus. God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that we get to gather and study it together. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to sit under the weight of the authority of your word, that we would believe you more than we believe culture, that we would believe you and trust in you more than we believe and trust in ourselves. That, Lord, where we need to repent, we would repent. Where we need to rejoice, we would rejoice. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would uh, teach us, work through your word this morning, and help us to see the glory of Christ reflected in the book of Exodus. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 35, and that's why I'd like to begin by reading something from Exodus chapter 25. It'll be on the screen. Exodus 25, because this is where God on the mountain begins to tell Moses, this is what you're going to do. This is verses 8 and 9. It says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Okay. The tabernacle is a movable tent. It's a big tent that they're going to use particularly for worship, and it's this place where God is going to dwell in a particular specific way among them. He's not entombed in it. He's not imprisoned in it, but he's choosing to place his glory there in a specific particular way to be a blessing and a sign for the people of Israel. But the word tabernacle literally just means dwelling place. So he says, I'm going to show you a pattern that you might make a dwelling place for me that I might dwell among you. And that's his plan, that he would rescue them out of slavery and not just say, okay, you're free, best of luck, but that he rescues them out of slavery and says, now I'm going to dwell among you. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. We're going to delight in one another. There's going to be joy here. 
And so that's, that's what he's doing, is that he takes them out of slavery that he might dwell among them. And so here's what happens. In chapters 25 through 31, God says, this is what it's going to look like. And then in chapters 35 through 39, they do it. It should be chapters 25 through 31, God says, this is what it's going to look like. And then chapters 32 is when they begin to accomplish it. But that's not what happens in chapter 32. Moses comes down the mountain. The dust isn't even out of the grooves of the stone that all of this is carved in. And they have rebelled against God and broken the covenant. They immediately destroyed it. I remember uh, when my wife and I had first gotten married, we were renting a house in Clinton, South Carolina. And the, there was a guy who had come over to fix something, and he knew the lady we were renting from, and he had helped fix something. He was an older gentleman. And he, while he was there, he got to talking to me, and he whittled. And he handed me a little whittled figure. And I cannot remember if it was like a dog or a horse or a boat. I don't remember. But he handed it to me, and I was looking at it, and I was like, mm, that's neat. And he said, it's made out of teak wood. And teak wood is one of the strongest woods. So while he was talking to me, as soon as he said that, I just, oh, strong wood. I just kind of did this. And I snapped it in half. <laughs> and so I just quickly put it back together. And then I looked at him. And he had not noticed. And so for about two minutes, while I held it, like I was still looking at it, but I'm really just, you know holding it together, formulating a plan. Um, he told me that teakwood is very strong. It's kind of expensive, hard to get, uh, hard to carve. They make ships out of it. Like he was going on and on about how great teakwood was. And I was like, mm, it's not as strong as you think. <laughs> so when he got done, I just handed it back to him and said, I broke it. <laughs> And he just went, hmm. <laughs> I think he said something about it broke along the grain, because I tried to explain when you said it was strong. I was just, but I wasn't trying to put too much, you know, I went, didn't try to break it. And then he just left, and we didn't talk anymore after that. That's somewhat what chapter 32 feels like, is that God has designed this beautiful covenant. He's made this plan. He's going to dwell among them. And he says, this is what it's going to look like. And they're like, great, we broke it. That's immediately what they do. It falls apart. And so we hit this moment in chapters 32, 33, 34, where we're going, what's going to happen? And God, in his grace and in his goodness, works to redeem and overcome their sin. And he renews the covenant, which he does not have to do, but he does. And we get to see Moses in this intercessory role. And so in 35, we pick back up with a renewed covenant, and they're going to build the tabernacle. So go to 35. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Okay, so... Moses is about to tell them we're going to build the tabernacle. He's about to give them a whole lot of work to do. But all the time in the book of Exodus, whenever that's happening, is that there's this reminder, you're not slaves anymore. And one of the primary ways that we're going to worship and enjoy the Lord is in rest. So we've got a lot of work to do, but we're going to work for six days and we're going to rest for one. 
It's actually interesting in the book of Exodus, one of the words that's described for their slavery is uh, the same word that's described for their worship. So that they used to slave and serve and worship Pharaoh, and now they'll slave and serve and worship the Lord, but it's going to look different. Their, their value doesn't come from their labor anymore. It comes from him. And so this service to Pharaoh becomes service to the Lord, but there's always this reminder of a Sabbath. So verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. And that was in 25 through 31. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold and silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair and tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. So everyone whose heart stirs them, they're going to take a collection for this purpose. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stands, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen of the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. That's why it's multiple chapters, because he tells them specifically how to make all of that how they're going to build it, what it's going to look like, how it's going to be designed, how wide. How, he doesn't just say make a table. He says make this table. And so that's why it works through slowly to build all of this for the tabernacle. And now they're taking a collection for it. Verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him. And everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord and every one of them. Uh, who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarn, yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. 
So they respond. And we're told in later, in the next few chapters, that the, everybody who's working on stuff has to come to Moses and say, tell them to stop. We have enough. Tell them to stop giving. We have enough. And it's all those whose heart stirred them, whose spirit stirred them. He didn't say we need X amount of pounds per woman and X amount of pounds per man and this much gold per tribe. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, if your heart moves you, give. And they respond in this generous way. One of the blessings that our church has gotten to participate in over the years is at the end of the year, we have a give series where we intentionally pick something where we're going to try to bless and be generous and help uh, fund a missionary or give some money to a church plant or work in some sort of um, service area in our city. And it's just so much joy when we all collectively, as the Spirit moves and our heart stirs, give. And the times that we get to, to acknowledge that we were able to raise more than we needed to accomplish this thing. And that's what they're getting to do here, where they just respond in joy and delight and generosity to who God is. Then it's going to talk about Bezalel and Aholiab. That's the bulk of our reading. So if you were thinking we were about to read all the stuff, we're not just to help you out a little bit. But it talks about Bezalel and Aholiab, two of the ones that the Lord specifically sat apart for the work. It tells us that they ended up bringing one ton of gold, four tons of silver, and two and a half tons of bronze. So they have plenty, and this thing is going to be decked out in beauty and glory for God's tabernacle. In chapter 36, they make the frame and the tent of the tabernacle. In chapter 37, they make the Ark of the Covenant, the table, the lampstand, and the altar of incense. And one of the things that happens in this is that much of what is built is designed to represent something, to display that God's going to dwell among his people, that he's going to share meal with them, that he's going to eat with them, to display that he's their provision, to display where they have a, a, a lamp, a lantern that, that won't ever go out. And it's to burn continually, and it's, it's to display that God is their light and their life continually. And this is what he does. And there's all these pictures that are woven into this. In the tabernacle... What's around the ark and the most holy place, a lot of it has pictures that are meant to bring to mind the garden. So there's blossoms, there's blooming, there's pomegranates, there's cherubim. And it's meant to be that God's original design in the Garden of Eden was that he would dwell among his people. And y'all, I just learned this this week. The word Eden is just the Hebrew word for delight or pleasure. I didn't know that. I thought Eden was a name. It's the garden of delight. That is what he originally placed them in, the garden of pleasure. That that's God's original intended design was that we would delight in him, that he would delight with us, that there would be pleasantness with him. And then when they build the tabernacle, that's some of what is image, what's pictured here, is that he's restoring that. But also, there, there are cherubim there, and the cherubim were placed at the garden to keep them from entering. And so there's still this picture of not only is he seeking to restore some of Eden, but he's also picturing again that there still is some separation between them and him. And that's why there's so much that goes into sacrificial system in the tabernacle where they have to atone for sin to approach God. In chapter 38, they make the altar for the burnt offering, the bronze basin, the court, that's its hooks, pillars, bases, and hangings. But there's this one verse in chapter 38 that I want to draw your attention to. 
because it, it just gets buried in here. It's one verse, but I want y'all to see this, and I think it's beautiful. Chapter 38, verse 8, we'll have it on the screen, but if you've got your Bible in front of you, it's on page 45 of the blue one. I don't know what page it's on if you brought your own Bible, but I'm glad you brought your own Bible. <laughs> Chapter 38, verse 8. He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, you might be inclined to say, who? Because that's the first and only time that they're mentioned. This isn't the tent of meeting that's going to be a part of the tabernacle when it's finished. It's the tent of meeting that Moses used to set up outside of the camp where Joshua would stay in it, Moses would meet with the Lord, and that was also the place where people who wanted to seek wisdom from the Lord or from Moses would go. And so apparently, there were some women who served there. That's what ministered means. They, they served. And when it came time to build the tabernacle, those women had bronze mirrors, which means a solid sheet of polished bronze used as a mirror because they wouldn't have had glass and mirrors the way we have glass and mirrors. This is one of the only ways you would have a mirror. You could look into some water or you could have some kind of a polished metal. And so these ladies had polished bronze mirrors. And I love this verse because I think it's such a beautiful picture of when you actually begin to see who the Lord is. Like they got to minister near the tent of meeting. They got this glimpse of the glory of the Lord and he's going to come dwell among them. And they turn their bronze mirrors in so that they might make the bronze basin. I think it's intentionally told us here so that we might hear the sacrifice that is involved in this. I don't think mirrors were easy to come by. And what do you use a mirror for? Looking at yourself. And it's just a beautiful picture of when we get a glimpse of him, we want more of him and less of us. When we get to see what he's like and who he is and, and the idea that he would come there, they just turn this in. They're like, I don't, I don't want to look at myself. I don't want this to be about myself. I want it to be about him. And isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel for us? That when you're trying to follow Jesus and so much you're thinking, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'm bad at. Here's why I'm succeeding. Here's why I'm failing. Y'all, turn the mirror in. Quit looking at yourself. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. When we say Jesus is better than everything else, it's about what he's done, what he's accomplished, who he is. It's about his glory and not yours. When we show up in glory to worship the Lord, we will have our eyes transfixed on him. There won't be a big line where they say, welcome to heaven, here's your mirror. Now go sing. Stare at your face and sing about your glory. It's not how it's going to work. And I, I love this picture. It's a whole sermon. I could get amped up, but I can't. It's just one verse. We've got to move on. But it's a good verse. Just remember that. We get to turn in our mirrors, and we get to see it, set our eyes on him. And some of you are spending right now a lot of time in pride or despair because you're looking in a mirror. And I just want you to know the gospel is way better than that. Chapter 39, they make the priestly garments. And in chapter 39, they repeat this phrase over and over again. As the Lord commanded, or as the Lord had commanded. And it's this picture repeated over and over again that they, they did this just the way the Lord told them. So that phrase, as the Lord had commanded, is in verse 1, verse 5, verse 7, verse 21, verse 26, verse 29, verse 31, verse 32, verse 42, and verse 43, as the Lord had commanded. And there's this beautiful picture of obedience 
and that they're doing exactly what the Lord called them to do. Now, much of chapters 35 to 39 is repeated almost verbatim from chapters 25 through 31. I picked one example. We're going to look at the making of the table. So this is chapter 25, verse 23. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. Chapter 37. He also made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. Chapter 25. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. Chapter 37, and he overlaid it with pure gold and made a molding of gold around it. Chapter 25, you shall make a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. Chapter 37, and he made a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. Chapter 25, and you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Chapter 37, he cast for it four rings of gold and fastened the rings to the four corners at its four legs. 25, close to the frames, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. 37, close to the frame were the rings. He's going a little off script here. As holders for the poles to carry the table. It's like when you're cheating off your friend for their homework, but you just mess some of them up and you make it look like you did it. Okay. Chapter 25, you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. Chapter 37, he made the poles of acacia wood to carry the table, and for a second you're like, oh no, and overlaid them with gold. He just flips it and builds some suspense. This is much of how these chapters read. And one of the things that happens while you're reading through them at least for me, is my mind goes kind of numb. And I'm just like, okay, 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 yep, mm-hmm, okay, okay. Hand breath, got it, mm-hmm, poles, got it, mm-hmm, gold. And if you've already read through, like if you sat down to read through the book of Exodus and you read through chapters 25 through 31, unfortunately, you're a little excited that it doesn't immediately go into 35. You're glad they go off the rails and something gets to happen. It doesn't immediately go into 35 where it just repeats the same stuff. And you're reading it now when you're back in 35, you're going, okay, okay. And there's a little bit of you that's like, why didn't they just say they did it the way that he said to do it? That's like a sentence. And I would have believed him. Why does it go through the process of repeating all of this? Well, what I'm about to offer is some speculation because it doesn't tell us, but I have some, I've thought about it. I have some guesses I'll share with you. I think one of the reasons is intentional thoroughness and a desire to show the strict adherence to God's instruction and their obedience. It's a beautiful walkthrough of obedience, of taking God's word seriously. Honestly, it would be delightful for us if all of us could live our lives with the same amount of rigor and seriousness to the word of God that chapters 35 through 39 take in the book of Exodus, that we knew what he had instructed and we followed it. 
Your life would be better if you did that. And so there's this display of thoroughness, but there's also, and, and, and obedience, but there's also this display of God working out things according to the purpose of his will. That God tells Moses on the mountain, this is what you're going to do, and then it happens. And it happens after everything falls apart where God works to redeem and to forgive and to help accomplish what he's set out to accomplish. And it's a beautiful picture that when God says, this is what I'm going to do, he does it. And so there's this picture of human obedience and God's will together. So I think there's obedience. I think there's thoroughness. I think there's the fulfillment of God's will that he accomplishes what he set out. But I also think there's something that we miss. Y'all, there's delight and excitement in these chapters. I don't know when you've had the opportunity to prepare for the arrival of a loved one. I don't know if you've ever gotten to prepare a house where you'll move in with a spouse. You're not married yet, but you're going to be. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to, to labor away at that. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to, to prepare a room where a baby's going to dwell. I don't know if you've ever had the chance, all your grandkids are coming home or a friend you haven't seen in a long time is going to come to visit and you have a week to prepare and you're thinking about what you're going to cook. You're getting the place ready. You're washing the sheets. You're getting the room ready. You're setting it up. You stand in. You think, okay, like, I don't know if you've had these opportunities, but that's what chapters 35 through 39 are. When we get done building this, he's going to dwell here. Our God is going to dwell among us. The one who rescued us out of Egypt is going to come be here. Y'all, there's delight. This, these were slaves who slaved away with endless toil. And the only thing held out in front of them was death. I bet there are days when they still wake up and have to remind themselves, oh, I'm not a slave anymore. I bet some of them are just now getting to where they walk a little taller, getting over some of the, the beatings that they had taken, loosening up a little bit, learning how to, to be a little freer. When they wake up and they labor towards this, it's in delight of the God of the universe who has specifically rescued and chosen them to come dwell among them. They're preparing diligently for something wonderful. And if you ever talk to a person who took the time to build a table for the house they're going to move into, to make a recipe for their grandchildren that are going to come visit, to paint a room and prepare it for a baby, if you ask them about it, I'm willing to bet that they will joyfully go into about as much detail as chapters 35 through 39. Well, you know what? I went and I, I, went and I was looking at two different pieces of wood, and I decided to go with oak. Now, yeah, pine's good, but I went, and I got lacquer. I mean, they're going to go into it. It's just a sprinkle of cinnamon. Now, don't, you don't want to do too much cinnamon, but you're going to want it just a pinch, like just, you know, maybe just two fingers if you do too, but you got to get it. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, mm -hmm. I bet it was good. That's what's happening here because there's delight and joy in, in preparing for the Lord to come. 
This is a refrain. It's a crescendo. It's all coming together. And it's work to prepare. So move to the end of chapter 39. Verse 42 and 43. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses... So the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord commanded. So had they done it. So Moses blessed them. There's a little echo of the end of creation here where God views all that he made and he sees that it's good and then he blesses uh, the man and woman to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over the earth. Like there's a little, a little echo of it. Now, God is able to discern on his own that it's good. Moses has to just see that they did what God said. So it's still God's standard. It's not Moses' standard, but he looks and sees that it's all done, that it's been done the way God told them to do it, and he blesses them. Chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. So on the first day of the first month, you'll erect it, and then it goes through. You're going to set this up, this up, this up, and this way, and it goes through a big list of some of the stuff that we read earlier that they were getting everything together. Go to verse 33. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar. They've gone through the process of of setting the stuff up and um, consecrating it for the presence of the Lord. So they didn't just throw it up, but they went through a process of getting it ready and marking it with oil and doing some sacrifices. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and he set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. You read through chapters 25 through uh, through 31, and then you read through 35 and 39, you'll appreciate how much fun it was for Moses to write this, I think, when he got to write. So Moses finished the work, because it was a lot of work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Y'all, that's what we've been working towards. That these people who were slaves would have God dwell among them. And all the stuff that we've gone through, where he's shown signs and wonders, where he's rescued them, where he brought them out, where they wandered and argued, and he had to provide for them with manna, and he had to work through all of this. And when he gives his instructions on how to do this, and he gives the Ten Commandments, and he sets up a covenant people, and they rebel, and he has to work to restore and to renew this covenant, and then they work to build all this. It's all so that he might dwell among them, that he desires to have his people in his presence, in his place, where they belong to him. And his desire is like a father who's trying to adopt and fill his household with children that he loves. And it says, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We shouldn't move quickly past that. We should enjoy and savor how good that is for the people of Israel. that he desired to have them belong to him. Verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it 
and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now, if you remember, the pillar of cloud and fire was leading the people of Israel, but at a distance. And they had a tent of meeting that was set up outside of the camp. And now the pillar of cloud and fire dwells on the tabernacle in the midst of the camp. He's surrounded by them. And he told Moses, if I show up like that, I'm going to kill everybody because they're wicked. But Moses intercedes and God gives grace so that this might happen the way God's designed it to happen. But there's this whisper. There's a whisper in this text that shows us that it's not done. God's full, final, realized version of what he set out to do is not done. I want you to see it. It's, let's look back at 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, that's a picture of God's glory, his holiness, but Moses doesn't get to just walk in. It's not like God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. There's a separation from God's glory. And there's this whisper in the midst of this crescendo and this delight and this wonder. There's this whisper of, not yet. Not exactly. It's not fixed just yet. And so Exodus points us to the glory of the Lord, but it also, in a very specific and real way, points us to the glory of Christ. That the story of the Exodus is meant for us to see how good our God is, and then, as it unfolds more, to see how good the Lord Christ is. Because Jesus is the one who redeems us out of slavery to make us his people. Well, my wife watches these um, uh, murder shows, true crime stuff. I have to make sure she's not like taking notes, you know, like on how to get away with things. But she, she watches these. And one of the things that police will often ask people when something really terrible happens and they're doing investigations is they'll say, is this the sort of thing that this person would do? They'll interview friends and say, is this something, does this seem like something they'd do? Does this seem out of character? Does this seem in character? We read the book of Exodus, and then we consider that we were lost, that we were rebellious, that we were wicked, that we were dead in sin, that we were slaves to sin, that we desired to go back to our old masters. Is, is rescuing a people like that, overcoming their sin when they work to actively break the covenant so that they might belong to him and he might dwell in their midst. Is that the sort of thing our God would do? Yes. It's exactly the sort of thing he'd do. When we read the book of Exodus, we're meant to be able to see that's exactly the sort of thing he'd do. That's exactly the type of God he is. That's exactly when you look at the times that they sin and you think he's just going to eradicate them and he doesn't. 
Like that verse we read earlier that in his divine forbearance, he overlooked former sins so that he might be just and justifier. That there's this moments where God carries it forward to pay for it in Christ so that he might be gracious, so that he might be loving, so that he might redeem a sinful people. And Jesus is the one who rescues us out of slavery. Jesus is the one who shows mighty signs and wonders. Jesus is the one who is our Passover lamb whose blood is painted on the door that we might not have judgment fall on us. Jesus is our bread from heaven that comes down to, to fulfill us and to give us life. Jesus is the one who not only teaches us about the law, but fulfills the law on our behalf so that the weight of the law does not fall on us, but it falls on him. And then the righteousness of the law is carried out in him and fulfilled in us because of his work. Jesus is the one who in the midst of our rebellion intercedes for us, who goes up the mountain and says to God, take me instead. And who God accepts his sacrifice. Jesus is the one who tabernacles among us as the incarnation of God in human flesh. Jesus is the one who by his sacrifice makes it possible to where the spirit dwells inside of us. That God would be surrounded by wicked people is exactly what he's done when he renews us and restores us and his spirit dwells in us in a specific and beautiful way. Just as he was intending to do with the whole nation of Israel, he now does inside the hearts of believers and he does it in the church to his great glory and credit of the work that Christ has accomplished. And Jesus is the one who can enter into the tent where even Moses is cast out because of his holiness and his righteousness. And so as we studied the book of Exodus, I hope that you grew in your love for Christ, who is a better Moses, who leads a people to the promised land fully and forever through his glory, not ours, in a way that resounds in the praise to our God. Let's pray. God, we're thankful that you're the type of God who saves rebellious slaves. And we're thankful that you're the type of God who overcomes sin so that we might belong to you. And we're thankful that you're the type of God who delights to dwell among your people to get rid of their sin without getting rid of them so that we might have pleasure and delight with you. Lord, we're thankful that you fulfilled the covenant, that you fulfilled the law, that your blood covers us, and that ultimately we can trust you to be at work in us and to lead us to the fulfillment of all things. May there be great glory given to Christ. Amen. Matt's going to come back up, and we're going to take a moment together as a church to take communion. And communion is a tangible reminder and celebration of what Christ has done for us on the cross. It's us proclaiming his death until he comes. It's us remembering his sacrifice. And so that when we take communion, what we're acknowledging is that Jesus died for us. He literally died to pay for our sins, that he's our propitiation, that we deserved death and wrath, but that Jesus paid for it. And we're celebrating that that covers us. And so that when God looks at you, he does not see you in his sin, but he sees you in Christ. And so when we walk in repentance, we're moving ourselves into the light in the Lord, 
But we're not oscillating out of his salvation and back into it, for we are covered by Christ. And so you get to take seriously a moment to repent and to confess, and then you get to come forward and delight in and rejoice in that Jesus Christ is paid. And that our hope is in him. If you are not a Christian, communion is not for you. You can trust in Christ. You can place your faith in him and he will save you. He will not put to shame any who call on him. But if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, we would ask for you to refrain from taking communion. But we have communion set up in the front and in the back and there's gluten-free communion elements at the back as well. So take a moment to pray, to confess, to remember our glorious Lord who redeems sinners. And when you're ready, we'll take communion and then we'll sing together.